We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and it's early on Saturday morning. What is that, like 36 hours after the NBA draft? I'm here with Charlie Johnson. We're brought to you by Zone Coverage of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. I, because I'm really concerned, we're going to be able to talk about both a trade, a draft pick, and I don't know, whatever the heck's going on with the roster in 60 minutes. Let's. Let's do this right away, Charlie. What's up? Let's do it. Not much. What a fun night. Yeah, chaotic. Yeah, it was fun. I don't remember the last time I had that much fun watching a draft. Even the the Carl Anthony Towns draft, it was like, well, they you better was, they, yeah. they better select Carl Anthony Towns. I was uh I was walking over to Target Center, Mayo Clinic Square, whatever, and it's like it's like raining out and I'm I'm on my walk there and like kind of heard that there was like some obviously the buzz of the trade going on and then I you know, you get the the woge push notification and i'm like oh in the rain like holding an umbrella i'm like oh like i probably should tweet something right now like like went under an overhang and it's like okay was it just dario sarge yeah it was just dario sarge okay wish i could have seen that it would have, you would have laughed people were probably like what is this what is that why is this guy on twitter um let's let's start there uh, i think that's i don't know that might be the most interesting element of the the whole night to me because Obviously, there's uh, there's the losing Dario angle, which I think we can get into. But it, uh, I mean, I think it's a fair thing to that we're to question, or we're going to look back at, like, all right, what do they actually want here? Um, weighing the the risk of trading up to four versus six, and you know, landing on six and being left with only being able to select Jarrett Culver and not not Darius Garland. It was it was a whole sort of whirlwind, but. I don't know, in a vacuum, they got the sixth pick and 
all they had to give up was Dario Saric, which I think, depending on your your affinity for Saric, you might be swayed by that. But to trade up in the draft and only have given up a player who is on a expiring contract or has one year left on his contract and Dario Saric, that's not a lot to move up. Now, if you don't like Jared Culver, you might be like, well, that isn't worth it. But can you kind of explain why it's not a lot to to give up Dario Sarge to do so? Yeah, well, I think, uh, number one, there is a concern, even though when Dario Sarge was acquired in the trade for Jimmy Butler, he does, and I wrote about this and I still think this, he could be a really, really good fit next to Carl Anthony Towns. Well, you remember when we were like, Dario might be the better yeah. asset in that? Or we were like, it's at least worth considering, like comparing to Covington, which we'll get into. It isn't yeah. the case anymore, but at the time, you and I were both on the same page of that. Like, sorry, it's like two years left on his deal. Then, you know, he could be a foundational piece going forward, like long time, long time. Yep. But then the season happened. Yeah, and then you saw six months of, you know, the numbers were good. They were productive on court combination, but they didn't maybe mesh like you would have hoped and Dario Sarge didn't maybe show the confidence that you would have hoped. And a lot of that probably has to do with scheme. He didn't get the ball in his hands. Like he probably should have, if you wanted to really maximize him and see what you had with him. But then you get to the end of the season and you know, you're not convinced that it's perfect and you've got one more year to hope that it is. And if it's not, you know, you're going to let him walk because he'll be a restricted free agent. And unless he is the perfect fit, it was going to be, extremely hard for the Wolves to justify paying him, even if it was only $10 million. Right. I, the way I, I wrote it was that Dario Saric did more for Carl Anthony Towns than than Carl Anthony Towns did for Dario Saric. I agree with that. I think it was informative that, you know, Cat probably benefited from having a stretchier big next to him, and we really got to, you know, see that transpire. When look at the other bigs he's played – Next to you go from KG, Gorgie Jang, Taj Gibson. I mean, belly some. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you you you, you saw Sarich help Cat. I don't think Cat helped Sarich. Or that that's where the synergy yeah. to me w- was lacking in a way. Like, and a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that during that time, Cat was being posted up like eighteen times a game, and and he did find Sarich cutting from time to time. But if that's going to be your offense, it's hard to maximize. Sarich. So I, I went and looked at, like, Cat only assisted on four Dario Sarich threes. Really? The whole oh, threes? Threes. Like, huh. you would think 18 post-ups a game, right? Yeah. Post, well, wh- whatever. Cat was posting up a ton. Yeah. You think you would have got, like, more than four skip passes to, like, yeah. Dario for a three, right? Totally. I mean, I'm sure Dario, I, I'm sure he shot more, but it was four, four makes and only 34 total assisted buckets from cat so i t- to me that kind of i feel could... like i can remember like all four of them <laughs> <laughs> probably that's so interesting yeah um so i don't know that i think you can you can kind of take that that the fit wasn't per- perfect um we were excited about or optimistic that it might be better next year but there, there was a question mark there's a question mark there and if this next year played out similar to what last year was, yeah, you you have Dario Sarge hitting restricted free agency and becoming a you know a a, a piece that is could walk, mm-hmm. and then that that asset is gone, or That's, at the at the very least is going to not be an asset anymore because they're going to be properly paid in mm-hmm. theory. That's what I mean. It becomes a neutral asset. Yeah. 
he was only it did only move them up five spots. So it's not like it was this great deal. But if you compare it to what the offer was to get up to four, which was seven spots, it was Covington and 11 and they had to take it on solomon hill's contract like that offer would have sucked i almost wish that the pelicans would have been okay with like a just a covington plus 11 just to see if the wolves would have done that Mm -hmm. because it's a really interesting kind of peek into how they see these assets like clearly they view dario saric as less of a long-term priority than they do robert covington Mm -hmm. but it would have been interesting to know even more concretely how they felt about that i i tried to like get some information not because what i wrote the day before when you know there was the buzz of them them trading up i was like all right if i'm ranking the like actual player assets to move the the one that makes the most sense to move is sarich and the other two being akogi and covington covington making the least sense and from what i've been able to gather like akogi wasn't ever really even negotiated Hmm. as being in there and i don't know if that comes from Minnesota being like, no, foundational young piece, this is like our guy, or New Orleans not being interested in yeah. that. Um, or I guess, or, or Phoenix too. And to me, that kind of makes sense with New Orleans. You're like, all right, we got Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball. Like, Okogi comes in and he's like an athletic defender who can't shoot. And they're like, oh, we got like six of those. <laughs> like, don't really, you know, don't. Don't need that as much, but I thought that was interesting. That wasn't there, yeah, because I think Covington, as it stands right now, is a better player, longer term contract on a bargain. So I think it's very good. Where the Wolves dodged a value bullet by not trading Covington there, and to me, if you're going to make the move up, Sarge is the one to do so. Do I feel like that? I don't know. I I've been all along not really got the logic in moving up. But if again, if you're gonna do so, it makes sense, you know, for it to be to be Dario Saric. And now it's it paints this new reality where you're like, all right, this team is shaped super different. Yeah. Well, and even the fact that I mean, losing Covington would have been huge because he's just by far this team's second best player. But even losing Dario Saric, I mean, you lose one of what, like five productive players that you have on your your <laughs> roster in yeah. general. So that's tough. But I mean, I'm curious to know, because we talked about trading up beforehand, and we had point guard on our mind. And mm-hmm. I don't know enough about these. I had point guard on my mind until like they said, five minutes Jarrett before Culver, six, yeah. yeah, I was off of Twitter because I like just watching the draft. So uh-huh. I watched him go up and say Jarrett Culver, and was like, whoa. <laughs> but we had point guard on our mind. And a big reason, at least for me, that that could have been concerning for the Timberwolves is because point guards are generally bad they're rookie or first couple yeah. of years so if your goal is to make the playoffs or to make Carl Anthony Towns happy that could be risky so I'm curious to know how it changed for you that they didn't draft a pure point guard yeah well it I, I think the shift in what I like about it is in Gerson Rosas I don't if listeners you missed this after afterwards at his press conference which was at like after midnight um he, he basically acknowledged that Robert Covington's going to be the four now, and they're going to slide him up. You think he'll start? Uh, I think it's going to depend on what they do in trades and, um, you know, free agency. But, but yeah, I think that's – as the roster is currently constructed, my assumption for what the starting lineup is going to be is going to be Cat at the five, Covington at the four, Wiggins at the three, Culver at the two, Teague at the one. Now, maybe it's Culver or Kogi are interchangeable. You could – I can mm-hmm. see them going either way there, but the sixth pick, I kind of think you start them. Yeah. 
I, that's like in this moment right now. Yeah. Has Covington talked about playing the four much? Do you think he'd agree to that? Um, yeah, I think he would definitely like agree to it. Uh, he's in Philadelphia. There was never really the need for him to be able to do that, nor in Minnesota. Cause you know, they've, they had multiple bigs in Philly who they, they ran yeah. with almost all the time. And then in Minnesota too, you had, you had cat Dario and Taj. So they're, but it's something I'd always been interested in because in the playoffs against the Rockets, the Wolves' best, most successful lineups were Butler at the four next to Cat. And that's really the only time we've ever seen Cat play alongside a non-traditional big. So I think literally on the last podcast, we're like, hey, you think Covington's going to play any four this year? Like, Yeah, we've been talking about that for a while. About, yeah. <laughs> um, and now, like, we were talking about that in like maybe eight to ten minutes a game. To answer your question, I think now you're looking at like 20. Um, maybe they bring in another another big and that it bounces it out. But yeah, I think he's gonna start because I don't. We'll get and we'll get to this. I don't. I don't know how you add a a starting caliber power forward to this team with the limited resources that they have. So so yeah, I feel pretty confident in saying that it's gonna be Cat um, and Covington. The, the way the way Rose has described it though, and how he wants to play is one point guard three wings and one big so i don't even know if he would call covington the four Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's how like the announcers yeah call it like and that's how it would work mm -hmm. you know you're gonna guard the other team's second biggest player yeah and that's what it might it might shift depending on who the opponent is because some Mm -hmm. people do you know run two bigs out there but covington isn't small like not at all he both in height and wingspan and weight like he yeah. he has really skinny legs but he's in in today's nba he's not gonna be undersized Mm-mm. it it'll just there will be situations where you know you're playing like san antonio and they go like big big where maybe you got to play gorgie a little bit more or you know free agent power forward x that they acquire um i don't know i think i i do i do think it's going to work i think it has some concerns namely rebounding mm-hmm this team has, I have it here somewhere, they were 27th in defensive rebound percentage last year, and the two years before that under Tibbs, 25th and 25th, that's been a problem, mm-hmm. and you just have now given up Dario, who is probably your second-best rebounder, Taj is a free agent, your third-best rebounder, or I don't know, yeah. switch that order. Like Rebounding is going to be a concern. Especially if Wiggins is shifting up to the three then, too. Yeah. I, I think, though... Um, that some schematic changes just the like the nature of like their overload sort of defensive system and using you know three players to defend ball screens throws like a it doesn't it unbalances the floor yeah in a way that um leads to offensive rebounding kind of in like kind of like when you're playing two three zone like as a you know think about that in like high school basketball Mm -hmm. like the weak side is that's like the inherent disadvantage of a two, three zone is you leave yourself open for weak side offensive rebounding. Mm -hmm. And that's also what the, that's what kind of when you're, when you're defending a pick and roll with three players that that functionally the same thing happens. So I think that scheme left them open for defensive rebounding woes to occur. And I don't think the one thing I feel pretty confident about is they're going to really try and defend screening actions with two players this year yeah and that in and of itself should help defensive rebounding the roster though as with wiggins yeah at three won't it is a concern the the rebounding 
Um, I think you make a good point that schematics could help that. I also, I think that it'll probably be bad, but everything, there's an opportunity cost to every decision you make. With having Taj Gibson on the floor, you know, Taj wasn't like mm. an amazing rebounder or anything. Yeah. He's a bigger body and there'll be times where Covington, like, you know, can get back down in the post against some bigger defenders, but he's also going to be able to spread the floor on offense. And he's also going to be, you know, the great, both the great team defender and the lockdown defender that he was last year to a different degree than Gibson. So I think it's just a, a push and a pull, wh right. whichever decision you're making. You know, we complained about Taj Gibson sitting in the dunker spot for every pick and roll last season. Get so, in the wet. Like, yeah. yeah, Covington will, there will be, there'll be more space there. I think where you miss Taj or and Dario to a lesser extent is when you're playing the, Nikola Jokic's, the Marcus Sauls, the Andre Drummonds, like, yeah, uh, it's Cat's gonna get in foul trouble. Yep. I mean, when they played, when they played the Nuggets this season, Cat did not guard Jokic mm -mm. It, unless it was like a a very scramble type situation. Like they they went with Taj, and Taj did a good job on Jokic. And then when I remember one game when Taj got in foul trouble and Ryan. Uh, going down the bench, like and grabbing Gorgie and being like, "You got to guard Jokic," and like slapping his butt and putting him in there. And it was, you know, with Cat, it was like, "No, we're going with Gorgie instead of Cat." And the re I don't think it's that Cat is incompetent to yeah. guard him. The concern is he's going to get in foul trouble. Yep. And with this new roster shift, that that's that's a concern, and I think that's a reason why they need to address the backup big with a, a better defender, somebody who can guard a burly sort of seven-footer. Maybe that's Gorgie Jang. Um, I, I don't know, but that becomes a greater need. The, the front court becomes a greater need going forward. It hadn't even been something I'd really considered. You know, last year, yeah, half the freaking roster was a power forward or a center. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, whatever. We don't, don't need any more bigs. Now you're sitting there, as far as traditional bigs go, you've got Cat and G. And then the next closest things you can say are Covington and KBD. Yeah. And those aren't bigs. Yeah. The first thing that came into my mind, and this doesn't solve your, you know, kind of backup bruiser problem or like the solution that you're looking for for somebody who can really contain those big centers and take that onus off of Cat. But when Sarich was traded on Thursday night, the first thing that kind of popped into my mind was. I wonder if Anthony Tolliver is going to be back now mm -hmm. because they're yeah, going to need to me that I was like, Oh yeah. I, I mean, even if Robert Covington is going to play the four a lot, you're banking on Kata Bates Diop to be the mm -hmm. backup there, which doesn't sound smart. Like hopefully he plays himself into that role, but if that's your plan going into the season, it doesn't sound great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think they'll address that. Yeah. And it's not, it's, that's a cheap thing to be able to bring in. Mm -hmm. Like we've, the, the way contracts have shifted and the, devaluing bigs it's not going to be hard to get a functional big for three four million dollars mm -hmm. even at the minimum like a guy that can give you 10 minutes on a night when you, when you need it so I, I i do think that'll be addressed um largely i i feel good and like i think it'll be better the cat covington pairing than cat sarge was just in that vacuum of the four or five mm -hmm. but the devil's advocate counterpoint to that is that Cat has done really well throughout his career with Gorgie Jang. I mean, if you go back in the day um, where those two guys played alongside each other, as far as net rating goes, that was the that was the Wolves that was Cat's best two man lineup pairing mm -hmm. 
was with Gorgie Jang both in 2015-16, the Sam Mitchell year, and the next year when Gorgie started Tibbs' first year, that was the best two-man lineup that the Timberwolves had. So statistically speaking, you could be like, Cat kind of needs a big, a real big to play alongside of him. But I think if you look at last season, you see the value of a stretch big. Yeah, and I... I think there's, especially when he was younger in his career, what we've talked about, the uh, having somebody to be able to defend the other center and having somebody to allow mm-hmm. Carl Anthony Towns to focus on offense. He benefits from that other five basically being out on the floor. But also, like we said 10 minutes ago, he's never really played with the four until Dario Saric. And then, boom, Dario Saric and Carl Anthony Towns is one of the team's best two-man lineups. So, like, Gorgie Jing was just the only person, he, the only big he really played with. Yeah. Know, alongside, except for Kevin Garnett. And if the 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 lineups that include Cat are always going to be positive, yeah, you know, so there, there's some like boosting there. But I, at the same time, I think you, you can say it, it's more important to to have the secondary big be someone who addresses defense more than it is to have someone who addresses offense. Yeah, and Covington obviously is a very good defender, but in a in a different you know a different sort of capacity. I think though this is better. Like yeah. I'm just removing Dario Sarge from the team. I think opens up a lot of a lot more possibilities. And I don't know the 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 trade allows that to happen. You didn't need to make the trade to be able to do this. Like yeah. you could have just played Covington at the like you could have started Covington at the four and brought Sarge off the bench. Mm-hmm. But now this almost forces their hand to do so, and that's th- that's interesting. It's, yeah, it's. I think it really opens up the potential for the offense to be awesome. Yep. And I think along the flip side of that is that it puts even more pressure on Carl Anthony Towns to not only improve his defensive kind of stoutness, but also to clean up those fouls on both sides of the floor. That's a concern. But that, yeah, it puts, it puts even more pressure on him and it, you know, maybe that's good. It's been it's been four years almost of like, well, let's bring in Taj Gibson because Cat sucks on defense. You know, maybe at some point you need to just say, let's see, let's like let's see what you can do now. Like you got to do it. Yeah, I, you're twenty, you're almost twenty four, like fifth year in the league. Let's see it. It's time. Like yeah, yeah and that, that's just on him if he can't if he can't figure that out if he doesn't understand that like when he sticks his butt out when he sets a screen on offense he's getting called for a yeah. ball. Like you get. Just, some point you gotta be like, hey, if you're doing that, like, you you can't play then defense for us because we have to sit you down, and now we're out there needing to play, Gorgie Jang, 24 minutes tonight, and that hurts us. Mm-hmm. Like that needs to be, that needs to be expressed to him, and that needs to be heard, and he needs to compensate his game. And it seems like that seems like such an improvable thing. It's like two things: it's sticking his butt out on when he's setting screens. And it's keeping staying vertical. He, he yeah. got better this year at like staying vertical, but then he just collapses his arms when he's going to contest a shot, and it gets called a foul every time. It's like if you clean up those two things, you probably be fine. It's just discipline. Yeah, it, exactly. And I, I think if you have a coach, that's a coaching thing that can get through to him, but he's got to listen. Mm-hmm. Like, and that you can have the best coach, and if the player doesn't listen, it, there's. <laughs> doesn't it doesn't happen so mm-hmm. he yeah that that's i think if you're pointing out concerns that's that's the the biggest concern of the roster shift yep but you know more more moves to come um are you with me where you think culver's gonna start 
I would guess, yeah. You just do. You think sixth pick overall, like th- that player, at least to start the season, assuming that he has a solid training camp, I would imagine you start him over Okogi, and then you've got Okogi to be kind of your your spark plug, versatile defender I off think of that the makes bench. Sense too. Yeah, like Okogi seems to fit in that role. It, that, yeah, I think that would probably help Okogi. Um, what will be interesting is if Culver starts off slow, and then you've got this backup behind him who everybody really likes, who maybe has like yeah. immediate value if that's kind of becomes a thing but i would imagine that going into it their mindset is probably start culver yeah and i think that some of that noise of won't matter as much if a kogi's in the sixth or seventh man role and he's still getting you know 25 minutes yep because of it like then then people can you know be calling for him starting but if a kogi isn't starting and still playing more than him or the same amount like that it, that's just kind of a yeah pointless sort of cry um, let, let's let's talk about Jared Culver and who he is, skill sets, and how we think those translate to the NBA and how they fit um, on this group. What uh, do you want to start with, offense or defense? Or what I don't know. Which one's even more important? I think his offense is more important. Um, especially you're the sixth overall pick. You know, maybe if you are the eleventh overall pick, then you can say this is a guy who can be a stout defender and then, you know, maybe work on his shot over the next couple of years and become a player, but he's the sixth overall pick. So I think his offense becomes the more important factor because mm-hmm. you just have to be good at offense if you're going to come close to being a star. I also think that there's been the narrative has sort of been that, oh, now you have Culver, Okogi, and Covington. You have three wings. This is just kind of to push Wiggins to the side, but you have these three wings who can't play offense. And I think that is a, an undeserved slight to Culver to, to put him in the same boat as Covington and Okogi because this guy, he might not have the most like ferocious first step and he might not be like the fastest guy there is, but in college against, you know, good competition and big games, man, he got his shot up whenever he wanted and he, he made some of them. Yeah. More so, um, before the final four. Yeah. But yeah, again, that's a, a, before a the championship example. game. Or am I not remembering the final four game that well? Was he uh, bad in that one of, too? I, I think, I think I'm just, I saw his overall numbers of oh, the final four yeah, game yeah. championship, but it might've been just the championship that pushes it down. But the one thing I really don't want to get bogged down in and make offensive assumptions about with whether it's Culver or Jalen Noel or any rookie is shooting percentages. Um, I, I think, I think I learned my lesson in Josh Okogi and being like, in thinking that he was going to be a decent three point shooter because he shot 38% and 38% to both years. And like 85% at, at the line. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's not that, it's not that that was like totally wrong. Like Josh doesn't have a completely broke jump shot, but it's not a good one. It's, mm. it's definitely below average when you're just assessing the quality of of the shooter and i think the other side of that is is looking at is jared culver and being like i don't think we need to obsess over the 30 percent from three that he shot last season either because it, it just to me with prospects it makes more sense to assess them of what do they look like shooting put them put them because it's going to be different the, mm-hmm. the role he's going to play for the Wolves is going to be so much different than the, the role he played for Texas Tech. I mean, he's going to be a fourth, fifth option anytime he's on the, the floor offensively, and I think that's going to benefit him, particularly right away. I mean, maybe that becomes bigger. He starts getting in a second 
with the second unit. He's a second or third option there. But largely speaking, you want him to be able to be a catch-and-shoot three-point guy and someone who can you know, attack the, the gaps in, in the defense. I think he can do that. If you, if you limit it to that in a smaller volume, his skill set suggests he can do that. He has a good-looking shot in, in catch-and-shoot situations. Mm-hmm. we got to do a, you know, a conference call with him after, after the draft, and, and John Krasinski asked him about his, you know, the difference in his three-point shooting from his freshman year, which was 38%, to his sophomore year, which was 30 and and Culver's like is the you know the the way I was used it was much more uh, you know being the main option was much was very difficult and in Texas Tech system that was very slow late in the shot clock shots like if you go go watch them look how often it's with the the yellow up there of the shot clock like yeah five four yeah. three I mean and I think some of that's fair mm-hmm. um it's also such a small sample size. Like, if you look at his so small. his two collegiate seasons, basically equal like two thirds of one NBA season. So if you think, okay, a guy shoots thirty eight percent over the first you know two and a half months of an NBA season, and then thirty percent over the next three months, that sounds about right. They shoot thirty four, thirty five percent in the season. Like, no, there are very few players who are just like, you know, thirty nine percent every month of the season. Mm-hmm. Like, and Dario Saric is a prime example yeah, of going one. from yeah. like forty eight to twenty eight percent month mm-hmm. over month, just being really streaky. One thing I do like about Jared Culver's shot is that it gets it up so high, which helps because he doesn't have like the greatest leap there is, but his shot is so high, and I think that that will help. I I, I think so too. Um, it's not a. I actually I wanted to start with this for for me as someone who did not watch a, you know a ton of you know Jared Culver in in college. I just kind of start my assessment of him on looking at his size. And, you know, and how, you know, how big he is. You, you watch him on the floor and he's kind of this like he looks lankier. So it makes him look a little bit taller. But if you if you look at his his physical makeup and I, I put this in my story of a, I, I just went through and it, finding guys who are six, five height, six, nine wingspan and weighing one ninety four. It's pretty rare. And um, because the, the, the reason I looked it up is he doesn't seem to have. We don't seem to know exactly what his position is. He said, you know, I can play anywhere from one to four. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, well, anybody's <laughs> going to say that. Like, and I, I don't know. Some of, the, some of the guys who he more mirrors physically as far as his combine height versus their combine height, and granted, you can put on weight. I'm aware of this. But these were these guys' yeah. heights and weights when they were the same age or when they were declared for the draft. And he's more like Alec Burks who is kind of, you know, a, a, a two, yeah, like totally. a one and a half, two yeah. sort of guy. Uh, Alan Crabb, he, he's his size. Dante Exum, Karis LeVert, Terrence Ferguson, Kevin Herter. Those are, the, those are the closest, you know, current physical comparisons mm-hmm. for, for Jarrett Culver. And those are guys are not that tall, not that thick. Yeah. And don't have expansive wingspans. Yeah. He... Though if he does put on some weight, there's there's a little bit bigger guys like who have the same height and wingspan as him, like Clay Thompson. But Thompson came in about 15 pounds heavier than him. Same with Andre Roberson, Glenn Robinson the third, Reggie Bullock. Those yeah, those those type of guys. So what I've heard is that Culver has the frame, and you know, eye test you know tells me that 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 he could. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be imperative for him to put on that weight and that strength mm-hmm. because he lacks the wingspan 
to be able to defend the whole array of both twos and threes in the NBA. He's not going to come in and game one have that size. No. So he's as a as a defender, and I, I've not switched this to defense. I, I want to talk more about offense too, but yeah, as a defender, um, he, he's going to need to rely way more on intellect and you know, kind of staying sternum to sternum uh, as a defender, using his hands more so than you know physical traits of athleticism and and wingspan, which is when you don't have the you you have to defend a little bit differently. When, when you don't have the size and, and physical measurables to do so. And he was good at that. He was a good, like, straight-up defender in college. He wasn't elite, and I don't think you can view him as elite because, as it stands right now, he appears to have the intellect but not the physicality mm-hmm. of a all-NBA defender or, you know, even approaching anywhere in, in that direction. So it doesn't feel safe to me to assume he's going to be X as a defender. We don't really know. I think initially he'll be good and solid and then has the potential with developing more size and strength to become a good defender. Uh, it's an interesting... It's not going to be like a Kogi. No, yeah. I, I agree with that. To go back to your point about the build and the measurables, it's interesting because he's probably not going to get taller. He's probably not going to get longer. But he does look to me like somebody who will put on mass. Yeah, he he does like not like Andrew good Wiggins. shoulders, as good, they say. To, I mean, yeah. totally like you yeah. can see it. You just when you look at him. Um, but I think that was kind of the scouting report on him is that while he is a defender and most experts f- think that he will continue to be a good defender and be a good NBA defender, it, he's less of a high ceiling guy. He's more of like a, you know, because of the athleticism that mm-hmm. you're talking about, he doesn't maybe have the ceiling to become like a Kawhi stopper, a LeBron stopper mm-hmm. that you're, you need eventually that kind of Robert Covington is. And maybe Okogi, if he gets stronger can be, but probably not even, but he just more because he's that smart defender, that instinctual defender, he's just always going to be solid, but he probably doesn't have the, the build to ever become elite elite or the athleticism. The it's, it seems that in, in from what I've read on him and people who watched a, a lot more of his game than I have, he he has this passer, uh, this label of being a very very good passer, and um, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I, I haven't really seen that yet. I I, I, I mean, I want to watch more. I saw it, not not you a ton. So? Go go ahead. So you go, go into. I mean. I'm seeing like excellent passer, one of the best in the draft. And oh, yeah, I didn't see that. So, so how how do you see him? I guess distributing next season. I, I think that's just going to be diminished if he's in the fourth mm-hmm. or fifth role. Agree with that. You totally. Know what I'm saying? Because what what I saw because I've since the draft been able to like do some more research and watch some more of Jarrett Culver playing, and I think that where he excels as a passer is almost, and I'm. Do not like to make player comparisons, but this is the person who jumped into my mind when looking at his passing ability was Jimmy Butler because he what he does is when he gets going downhill and he collapses a defense, you know, three guys onto him. He's I saw a lot of plays where he will jump up in the air and use hang time to then find a guy who's either cutting or out on the perimeter, yeah. just like Jimmy Butler does. He's not obsessed with the rim. No, as a penetrator. Yeah, that that's a good way of saying it. I also saw some good pocket passes from him in the pick and roll, which mm-hmm. is also very Jimmy Butler-esque, even yeah. though we didn't see him do it with Carl Anthony Towns like he would have hoped. He has throughout his career been a good... Yeah, that Tariq Owens guy who was a 
big kind of room. Yeah. There. Yep. Exactly. So I think that those were the two kind of specific scenarios that I liked his passing. I haven't seen enough of him to like do a total evaluation mm-hmm. of his game. Yeah, and I I, and I might be wrong. I, I it's but you like make it, I'm, I'm going down to making these bullet points yeah. of like uh, how I define how I'm seeing other people define him and what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And that was like the one where I was like. All right, I don't know about excellent. No, I wouldn't say that either. And I don't even think he got to get enough opportunities to be excellent. Like, you'd okay. really be projecting. And I think that his passing is more of, like, a, a projectable thing because, like you said, it probably won't be that useful this year if he's the fourth or fifth option because he's not going to be initiating that many pick and rolls unless he just really surprises. Maybe he'll be able to utilize some more of that, like, straight line drive, collapse the defense, pass it out to somebody in the corner. But And maybe the first step of that is using him in dribble handoff situations mm-hmm. rather than straight up pick and rolls. You know, like yeah. that just uh it just asks a lot more of a player to be dribbling when they receive the screen versus just like receiving the handoff. It's there's less things to do off of a dribble handoff than there is there and I think that's just a kind of simple way to use what we also know to be a pretty good, you know, element of his game which is like one dribble into a pull up. Mm-hmm. And I know some people will be frustrated and you look at kind of the some of the mid-range numbers and this and that the volume from there and um yeah, that's like a, a bit concerning because you have plenty of players on the Wolves who already do that. Well, that's it's uh, it's also like we've talked about. Like this was Josh Okogi at Georgia Tech. He took a bunch of mid-rangers. Like he was just a crazy offensive player and then you right. get into the NBA and you're just not asked to do that anymore. Yeah. And I think that's already one of the major challenges for Gerson Rosa's, you know, via Ryan Saunders is to, you know, recorrect a lot of that shot selection, whether it be Andrew Wiggins or you know, maybe it's Derek Rose or whoever to 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 use the mid range, the pull up game as a secondary option or something that you're looking for when you're going downhill rather than just like catching and fading or catching and like immediately going into it. Like it's it's not something that Andrew Wiggins or Jarrett Culver should completely remove from the game. Like, no, it isn't. I mean, anybody in the NBA, like it's, it's good to be able to score at all three levels. What Andrew Wiggins needs to do is score at level one and level three more, (laughs) but, um, you know, and, and, and so does Jarrett Culver. It's, I I think it's just going to be for all those players. The challenge for Saunders is to get them to see value in all three. Mm -hmm. And, um, that might be some work. I, that's in- it can work though. It can work. I, I see like Chris Middleton as a as a good example of that of somebody who's not exactly dynamic getting to the rim, mm-hmm. and um, he he's more catching and shooting from three. And his comfort is to use a bounce to get to a pull up, and I think that's optimized. Jerk Culver. Mm-hmm. I, that's a great. I, I agree with that. It's I a think high end production. Of course, production, but. Yeah, but that's what it's always going to be. I think it's interesting that you kind of singled out his playmaking in that way as something where maybe like the consensus is differs from what you've seen because that's a little bit. And I don't, I wouldn't say that he's like a primary playmaker because that's not what he was asked to do, and I don't think that's what his future role is going to be. But I think for the player he is, he's a good passer. But that's kind of more what I saw with defense, where I think that once his uh, once he was drafted by the Timberwolves, and it was clear that he wasn't either a point guard or a knockdown three-point shooter the conversation turned to his defense he's Mm -hmm. a great defender which i what i've seen from him i think he's a solid defender but for the reasons we talked about before you know he's not 
super side to side athletic or that's all relative, like mm-hmm. compared to the people he's going to be guarding I in think the that's NBA. Fair. Yeah. And he's not super, super big. So that's kind of where I looked and went like, okay, just how good can he be on defense? And I think that's interesting as will be interesting to follow as he kind of starts playing hopefully summer league preseason, the regular season to follow both his defense and his playmaking while his three point shooting is going to be kind of the hot button issue. It'll be interesting to see just how that passing and that defense translates. How dumb is it that it doesn't seem like he's gonna be able to play in summer league because of this trade rule? It's so dumb. I mean, that, that, that hurts him. Yes, it hurts. Well, and a lot of players. So we should explain this. Um, this trade can't be made official until the new league year begins mm-hmm. because the Suns need to have cap space to be able to absorb Dario Sarch. They're not going to have cap space until until the other players come off their books and they can do the, the TJ Warren trade they made to Indiana happen. Um, so it's just a this is a deal that they agreed to in advance of the new league year. The new league year starts after the moratorium free agency, which is July 6th. And so that's going to be the, the first two days of summer league are July 5th and July 6th. I think then what's going to end up happening, not just for Culver, but the other guys who are affected by this are there's like the press conference. Like he's going to have to come to Minneapolis on the, on the seventh. I, I would assume. Yeah. And he's that like, and then, then you go out to Vegas and you play in the, like the later games, which are normally, where all the lottery picks are already not playing. Like, it's just weird. It's not that he can't play, and I don't think they've decided yet because there isn't really a precedent for this before, but he definitely can't play in their first game of the of Summer League, which is July 5th against uh, the Cavs, and that's just stupid. It's just a It's just a mistake by the league of setting it up in this way. Like, they should have made Summer League not overlap the moratorium. Yep. And I think it's totally just like a money grab thing because they want Summer League to start on Friday. Yeah. And have the weekend there. Yeah. It, and if, if you just started Summer League on the 7th or the 8th, like on Monday Why rather not? than Friday, <laughs> like it would have been, it would have been fine. It's going to be, I, I, I mean, that's a, it's a tangent, but it's, it's annoying. Well, it's, or, it's he, an, can't, he can't come in and work out. Like, yeah. He can't, he can't come to Mayo Clinic. And like right like, now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's important. I mean, I hope that, and I don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes and why having a press conference is super important. And I just don't know that I mean, from the team's perspective. Yeah. But I hope that after the after he signed on July 6th, he goes straight to Vegas to play. Yeah. I, I don't know. So. And I, I hope that yeah. takes takes priority over a press conference. I, and I don't know. It, it might just traditionally speaking, anytime a player mm-hmm. is acquired, the PR element of it is you you try and get the player to your city as soon as possible and have a press conference. Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's part of the game. That's part of the money-making element of the... You're, you're selling a product. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if, if that will or, or won't happen, but it could be so cool to watch him play because I think the Wolves Summer League team... It's going to be sweet. After sucking, yeah, like they have been so bad the past two years. Like I've been there, and you know, obviously I watched all the the Wolves summer league games the the past couple of years. I've been there, and then you watch other games, and it's like JV varsity. <laughs> I mean, the Wolves have no, the Wolves have had no like r- real players. Like Akogi played two games last year, Kata, and, and Kata, but like Kata 
It was the 48th pick. And he was their best player. He was I will for for some of those games, he was the best player on the floor. Or was, on for the Wolves. It was like Kata and then a player that probably listeners haven't even heard of, like Jonathan Stark, who played mm-hmm. for the Iowa Wolves this past yep. year, wasn't even on a two-way. Like Jared Terrell wasn't wasn't good in some of the, I mean, compared to some of these other teams where like two years ago. The Lakers had like Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, like my, yeah. yeah, playing like seven games, and it was well, they won it. Like it makes sense. Yeah, it, it <laughs> makes a, it makes a difference. And so I think like you can be you can be really excited about what what this Wolves group could be even beyond Culver. Yeah, and they, I mean, from Okogi the, said he's going to play. Yeah, which is kind of, I mean, that probably will be the only the first two games I'd yeah. assume. But yeah, Okogi. Um, some of the incumbent guys I would that have been around Reynolds Creek, yeah, Jared Terrell, yeah, like Kata. Those would all be those would all be good summer league players. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I watched uh, two of the Mavs games last year, and that was um, that was the first time I ever saw Mitch Creek. And I remember thinking I was like, this guy's got a Timberwolves tattoo on his leg. Like it <laughs> looks like a Timberwolves. Thing. I remember just being at the game, never heard of Mitch Creek before at That's the time. Fate. And he was he was like da- he was really good for that Dallas team. It's like him and I'm forgetting who the other guy was, but th- like like Mitch Creek will be a good summer league player. Yeah. And so you have him, Kata. Yeah. Like Kata will be there. They signed Nas Reed. Yep. Tyus Battle is like a guy who would totally who they just gave. They also signed to. a summer contracts called an exhibit 10 like that's not, like they're gonna have a good a good summer league team that's worth watching Nas did I already say Nas yep. Reed who they they gave a, t- a two-way to um that was yeah. fun to see right away yeah on top of it again to to other than summer league which the Wolves have stunk at putting together a roster for their G League team has sucked like they've had no no nothing from the G League in the entire Thibodeau era like their two-way players the first year where Emil Jefferson, Anthony Brown, absolutely no, no meaningful minutes nope. ever played. And then last year, it was C.J. Williams and Jared Terrell. Jared Terrell had, like, one game. C.J. Williams had missed 400 shots yeah. in, like, 12 minutes of play. Like, they've had nothing. They've developed nothing in their G League system. And this stuff seems small, but, like, look at other teams. Look at what they're doing there. There's a chance to, when your team, when you have a bunch of bad contracts like the wolves do a way to help you know lessen that blow is to find a guy on less than even a minimum contract like if you get nas reed and you'd like develop him and he ends up being like a an nba guy like a two-way contract means you're not even on a minimum and they have your restricted rights like going forward if nas reed is an nba player Signing him to a two-way is great. Well, we talked about how after the trade, after trading Dario Sarch, the Timberwolves are really have a really shallow front court depth. So you sign this guy to a two-way deal. If he can give you twenty-five games of solid minutes this season, I'm not mm-hmm. saying I expect that, but how much does that that goes such a long ways for a team that is capped out and that doesn't have front court depth? Like if you can get anything from him, that's huge. I think too. Something like I think it's going to be Pablo Prigioni coaching the oh, team. Oh, fun. Um, at, so like getting reps in with the guy who's going to be the offensive coordinator for for like the Wolves. It, yeah, I I, I hope Culver's able to get yeah. there on the seventh. The, the Wolves play July fifth and July seventh. Culver seems like he'd be a good summer league player too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a take, bunch a bunch of shots. Take up. a lot of shots. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Do we feel like we've we've touched on Culver? 
Yeah. I'm, I'm just it. excited to watch him play more. I mean, I think the three-point shooting probably won't be great his rookie season, and that's going to probably... I, th- I think we don't know. We I, don't know. Of course I, we don't know, but... I don't know, man. I wouldn't be... Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Jarrett Culver shoots 38% from three yeah. this year. I really wouldn't. Like, I mean, I did it's go- not bad form. It de- it's going to depend on what shots he takes. If he's ne- shooting, like, I don't know, how many did Okogi shoot per game this past year? Like, five yeah, or, or something like that if he's not shooting that many if he's shooting straight catch and shoot stuff like his form is fine you you talked about his high release like yep. i i don't think it's out of the question again i'm not locking into that that 30 percent on his on his three-point shooting on this in the same the other side of that like i'm not just bank believing that jalen noel is going to be some like yeah like that jalen noel is like tyler hero light mm-hmm. that i mean yeah, he shot 44%, but context is so important mm-hmm. in three-point shooting. It's just a number in wherever you're playing basketball. It depends yeah. how open you are. Well, you think about like Jalen Brown. Didn't Jalen Brown shoot like 29% during his freshman year in college? I think he did. And then he came out and shot like 42% as a rookie. So it is system. Like you get into that Celtic system, you shoot a bunch of wide open threes. Like you're going to be probably going to be fine. Which is also something I think the Wolves offense is going to be looking to do in one way or the other is to prioritize that through a inside out game whether the inside being cat in the post the pick and roll game utilizing cat and it should be a system that leads to a bunch of yeah open above the break and corner threes for the wings and if Jared Culver can hit a good amount of those threes and then also take advantage of what he's shown in getting to the rim and provide that as like a, a secondary tertiary or even like further down the totem pole attacker or creator for this team that can just go a long ways it's the same reason i could see andrew wiggins shoot 38 from three this year like well he's just been close like that wouldn't even be that much better i, I know it, if you have a competent stroke yep can get it off quickly and which at a high release point you can be a solid three-point shooter in the nba and it just depends on what threes you make and how on or off your shot is that season like three-point shooting is so volatile yeah and i don't know I, I, I think I have more confidence in this. And I want to watch him shoot. Like, that's why I want him to see him at Summer League. Because mm-hmm. I, I love to. I've talked about this on the pod before. Is, like, watch a guy get up 40 shots in uh, just an open gym setting and watching the consistency or lack thereof of mechanics. And my assumption right now is that Jerk Culver is going to be mechanically consistent because I think he's a guy who's reworked his shot. Like, he's a little robotic. Mm-hmm. as a shooter which makes me think he's never gonna be like one two pull up like They're almost crazy like zach levine it's not yeah. gonna be like that it's not it's not smooth like that but it's more of the I'm trying to think of like the the mold of like a like a richard jefferson who's yeah. like ready there spotted up like set this ready to shoot going to be a comparison that inspires confidence why did i say richard jefferson that was a stupid <laughs> one does this shot remind you at all of Kada's? That's kind of what I saw a little bit of that high release. It's like a little bit um, like robotic, almost like you said, where but he can do it over and over again. Um, I don't think Kada Kada has weird feet stuff mm. with the, like the angle of his feet are weird, um, and I think that hurts him. Yeah, like, hurt some hurt his shooting last year. If you like corrected that, but I think Kada is just like the type of person who has this the shooting gift. Yeah, of just like the. The smooth flick of the wrist, the yep. like he's just a person who grew up being a good shooter. Yeah. So and not so not a good comp. <laughs> I, I I don't and not a, not in my opinion. I, I mean I'm just joking. But at the same time, you're asking them both to be the same sort of thing, just a catch and shoot guy. Yep. 
And um, I, I'm totally being subjective in the way that I see them both shoot, but I, I, I see Kata as a fluid motion sort of guy, whereas Jarrett Culver's been the dude in the gym mm. who's like, hey, I'm not very good at shooting threes right now. I'm going to shoot like 3,000 of them. That's interesting because I see Kata as being... I guess, I guess a little bit more like that than you, but maybe he's just like I, and, rounded it out a little bit better than Culver has. He's older. And that, again, for me, that Kata opinion, and and maybe this isn't even a good way to measure guys, but like I, at every game, I watch warm-ups. Yep. And I just watch, you know, watch how the how the guys shoot in that setting. And that's what my Kata opinion is shaped off of, not the way he shot in games, which is actually really bad. What is she, like 26, 27, 28% or something 24, like that? 24, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, wasn't. it was bad. But again, I, I don't, me, I don't put a ton of weight into small sample size three-point shooting. Yeah. And to me, that's smart. I, others, I get it. It, it is, it's about, it's a make or miss thing. Like, can you do it? Yeah. And you can be the smoothest shooter in the world, and if you're consistently making 30% of those, like, it's almost like Andrew Wiggins. Like I've never yeah. really been able to realize or figure out why he can't bump up that three point percentage. He's got such nice touch. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at his free throw shooting and go, maybe that's a good sign. But he's got a nice shot. It's repeatable. He can get it up anytime. Mm-hmm. He's got good touch around the rim. It's like it's reason man. to be optimistic for him. Yeah, in absolutely. My I mean, yeah. I, I'm not gonna lie. Every time I see Andrew Wiggins shoot a ball, my assumption is it's not going well, in. Well, yeah. That, but we, but you've been trained to expect that yeah, result. Was that a classical condition? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I think it's it's worth it that we really dwelled on the the shooting here because Rosas is Rosas tips his hand as to what he ca- has cared about and the ways in which he's going to address things. And he was very at Ryan's press conference. He said it straight up: "We need defenders," and like not everybody says that. Like even if you do need that, like, yeah, and. What did he go out and do in the draft? I mean, I think Jared Culver, the idea is that Jared Culver is part of that. We need defenders. At midnight on draft, on after the draft, draft night, he was like shooting, shooting, shooting. He said that over and over again. And that is, I think that's the next step of this offseason project of him, of, of reworking the roster, which is not done. I think there's, I think they got the, their whiteboard is just littered with a million. Oh, different wouldn't that be fun to see? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the. Uh, I think it would be a little more uh, in depth than what was that? The Orlando Magic one. <laughs> was <laughs> it the Magic? I, who was oh, it? Was it the Kings? The, Pe- the Pelicans? No, no, it was the Kings. I think. It, oh, I think you're right. I think it was the Kings. Either way, whoever it was, the Kings, the Magic, <laughs> some bad front office at the time. <laughs> they just had like their dra- six power yeah, forwards yeah. up there. Yeah, it was amazing. And I think they had the three-point percentage next to him. <laughs> I'm just like, guys, are going to target. I, I think uh, between Rosa's, Gupta, and whoever there, um, it's there's they've set out a million different sort of paths of well, yeah, how this can go. And you watched it kind of, it was almost like a preview of it on draft night. It was clear that they're taking such calculated risks. They're saying, okay, what does it take to get up to four? Robert Covington, 11, and taking back a bad expiring contract. Yeah. Not worth it. What does it take to get up to six? Sarich and 11 worth it like mm-hmm. it's just going to be a matter of evaluating everything and deciding which which risk has the upside to to pay off and and i think again in a vacuum Sarge to move up five spots makes sense but i don't i'm not giving rosas and 
and company an A on how draft night went because I think they assessed the risk of the situation somewhat incorrectly. Like, I think, and that's evidenced by trying to trade out a six once Garland went off the board. They said that they had their five guys that they wanted, and Culver was one of them, and he was left. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the case. I think it might have been a situation where it's like they had way too many hypotheticals going on on the board, and then they're like, it cluttered things almost too much. And like, okay, I guess we just take Culver. I'm kind of of two minds on it. Like, it totally, it it was clear they were going for Garland. And it's goofy that they were trying to trade the pick after Garland got got taken off the board. But at the same time, I have a difficult time believing that any group of any front office group, and especially that one that seems to be very thoughtful, would not just think, okay, brass tacks. Like the downside of this is that we have we're, we get pick number six and we lose Dario Saric, and these are all the potential players that could be there. Like I have to assume they had a top six. That made them that made them comfortable trading Dario Saric. Mm-hmm. It is weird that they tried to shop the pick, and I don't really know what to make of that. It's all weird, but at the same time, I can't believe that they just made that trade, hoping that Garland would fall and not being comfortable with the backup plan if he didn't. The way and we don't know the the way he's messaging it, Rosas did was we had options at different places, meaning, you know, at to trade up to four. There was extra value there to the assurance of Garland. Yep. And then six gave a different option. It it gave the a chance at being to give to get Garland and you had to give up way less. Mm-hmm. And I, I I believe that happened to some extent, and then it just didn't work out perfectly. But don't you think they would have been comfortable with the the second option where Garland did get taken and they ended up with Hunter or Culver or White. Don't you think that when they made that trade, they would have been comfortable with that being a a scenario that was pretty likely? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think because it was only Sarge and it happened like an hour before, my assumption, I don't know this, but my assumption was like Phoenix said, you got to do this now, like offers, because they they made the move like like 60, 90 minutes before like the the actual draft, so I think they said if you want six now, Sarich, like we're pulling that off the board and we're shopping it elsewhere. And so I think they had to again in the risk risk assessment had to pull the trigger there, and they didn't know yet if Garland would or wouldn't be there. And then go okay, well, we still think this is worth it, even if Culver yep. just falls there. Yeah, that would be my assumption of Mine as well. of what happened, and it's such a better deal than trading Covington and taking back freaking Solomon Hill. Oh yeah! Oh like, my God! That would have been such a bad. I, I, don't, I don't even want to like. Think Unless I mean, I'm not. I don't know enough about Darius Garland to know whether he's Damian Lillard or not. But if if you believe he was, then maybe it's worth yeah, it. Yeah, I, it I don't. Seems unlikely. I don't. I don't either. <laughs> um, quickly, let's talk about how this changes the off season now. Financially, things don't change. The by, they you get off of Dario Saric. Um, it's contract, which was three and a half million dollars, but they don't create for for clarity. They don't create three and a half million dollars more in cap space or tax space because to move up from 11 to six, that, that salary slot has an additional $1.8 million more Culver at six makes 5.8. 11 would have been 4 million. Plus you have to replace a roster hold on Dario Sarge's spot. That's 900 K. 
So all in all, what happens with the move is they create another $800,000 in CAPSA's tax base. Pretty nominal. not Also not nothing, but agree with you. Pretty nominal. Nothing. Yeah, could, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like we were talking about before where you could see a scenario where the first season – the the first season salary that you're offering Tyus Jones or Derrick Rose would be like 4.6 million. Now you can bump that up to 5.4 and with Mm -hmm. annual raises. Now you, if you offer them a four year deal and now you're up at like 427, 28, something like that. Like that makes it, you're right. It it does make a difference. It's not nothing, but there's not like way, way more possibilities. They don't have have max cap space. They they certainly (laughs) do not have max cap space. The thing, though, what I'm looking at, and you, you mentioned Anthony Tolliver earlier, is what we, when we've been talking about adding to this roster, we've been talking about roster or uh, basket creation, like offensive yeah. creators. Um, that remains a need. Point guard remains a need, but addressing the bigs become a need too, because you only have in real bigs, Cat and Jang. I don't know if that you know getting a stretch four in that capacity or like just a bruiser. Some you need some sort of big there. Totally. So that's the biggest way I'm viewing free agency differently is now there's another need. Yeah. And that's a big whereas before I would have been like, whatever. Don't big well, isn't a thing. And point guard's still a need now too, because you kind of would have assumed if they traded up they were going to draft uh, me. I, I would have assumed if they traded up they were going to draft a point guard. And that would have sort of squashed your need for a point guard mm-hmm. this season because you would have had what, theoretically what they drafted was not a need not a need which is fine but it or the needs that we defined yeah i'm sure an, it was an a need immediate need yeah yeah but it, it definitely changes things it's like okay ones fours and fives this off season's point guards power forward centers like mm-hmm. that's pretty much all that they quote unquote need so it is interesting to think about all the incumbents to me I just have always had a feeling that Taj Gibson wasn't going to be back because even if he doesn't demand a big contract, I get a feeling it'll be meaningful. Also, yeah, get still the, the vibe I have. Maybe is just he's ready to move on. Um, yeah, but Anthony Tolliver or Lou Deng, if you want to bring back one of those guys to play at the four, the odds of both of them coming back increase. Yeah, definitely in my mind. Like yeah. Tolliver, I kind of moved on from in my head. Uh, he is still in town. Like, well, he has like a house here, so he's like living here and been working out of the facility, even though he's an unrestricted free agent. So there's that angle to it. Like, yeah, here. I, I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe we were misguiding ourselves in the assumption that he was definitely gone, and now it, I think it only increases. Like, that would be nice to have an Anthony Tolliver oh, as yeah. a backup stretch four. Yeah, Lou Aldang. I don't know. Don't really seem doesn't seem like you need to sell anyone on Luol Deng. Yeah. Like, oh, net rating. Um, <laughs> but like he of what of what Rosas is describing, um, as far as Covington at the four and the three sort of wing things, but you want one to be bigger like Luol Deng. Yep. He makes even more sense now. Yep. And I think you got to start considering him at more than the minimum. I I, I really do. Um, it seems. Do you think he'll demand that? I don't know. If he does, though, I think you need to consider it. Yeah. Like, there, there's a... Because of the way it seems that they want to play, there, there's a value in in having that type of player. Uh, if it is more than the minimum, then and you decide to give him, like, $4.5 million or something, now you probably don't have the mid-level to use. Yep. And so then you go from Patrick Beverly at point guard down to, like, I, I don't even know. like TJ McConnell. 
Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. a big it, drop. <laughs> it is really interesting, though, because Tolliver and Luol Deng pop into my mind as like, they're not going to be the backup center, but maybe you just figure Cat and Gorgie will kind mm-hmm. of assume those minutes. And then you go to point guard. They need point guard. Okay, are they just going to bring back Tyus Jones and or Derrick Rose? Well, maybe, but... At the same time, if we're talking about all four of those guys having just like a much greater likelihood of returning, all four being Tolliver, Dang, Tyus Jones, and Derrick Rose, maybe that's more likely, but I just cannot see Gerson Rosas running it back to that extent. No. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting to this point where I think they might pay the luxury tax. Hmm. I really do. Yeah. I, I think... I, <laughs> They talk so much about this aggression, and they have been. Like, that's not just talk. Like, they have been, from what I've gathered from talking to people, is, like, they're all over the place and trying to, like, get meaningful pieces and stuff like that. If they get, like, a meaningful piece, and do we want to call it, like, D'Angelo Russell or something like that, that boosts up the overall salary overall, I wouldn't be surprised. I I really wouldn't if then they correspond by rounding out the roster with the other incumbent guys, like a, like a Tyus, a Rose, a Luol Deng, and they just paid the luxury tax to do so. I, it would make a lot of sense. It would. And I think, and it wouldn't be wrong, like we've talked about this before, it wouldn't be wrong for Glenn to say no, because teams, like the Wolves, are one of the worst teams in the West. Like, sorry, that's just, the reality. West is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think the Wolves are the 12th best team in the West right now. That's a hard team to justify paying the luxury tax for, but you can map something out where you're like, it makes sense to do it this year. We're going, we're going seven million over or six million over the luxury tax because that's like the whatever. Going, we're going over the luxury tax this year. We're eating that bill, and it's going to get us moving in the right direction. And next year, Teague's off the books. Gorgie is one year left. We can duck it next year. We can do it. Like it's going to cost. It's going to cost a luxury tax bill. But I don't know, man. If you want to make an aggressive move and you want to also round out a competent roster, I think the luxury tax is like almost a necessity. It is. It's such a good point where like they want to make, he keeps talking about our draft needs are, you know, for three or four years down the road. Like you want to make this long-term push, which is what you do when you draft a guy like Jarrett Culver, who theoretically you didn't totally need next year, but at the same time you want to like, you know, maximize Carl Anthony Towns and put a great roster on him get him to the playoffs, keep him happy. Like those two things don't totally jive unless you're willing to do something like pay the luxury tax. And D'Angelo Russell, man, I mean, that, that, that cat element of the D'Angelo Russell thing is real, like in that it would mean a lot to cat. And they have not supported cat thus far. No. And cat's a beast and cat took Jimmy's shit and Tibbs's shit and he ate it for three, two and a half years. And I don't know. I mean, I think Kat's the type of person who would do that. But at some point you got to be like, we're doing this for you because if we don't have you, we're back and we're like the freaking sons mm-hmm. and we're terrible, terrible. There's just ways to justify making moves that get him. And I don't know. D'Angelo Russell might not even be possible. It's going to require Brooklyn nailing the max max of something else. And then you're also going to need to grab a third team in there to facilitate a deal to get off of, you know, Jeff Teague and a sign and trade. And you're going to probably have to pay like some assets to, to get, to, to get off of Teague and to get D'Angelo Russell. Like Brooklyn's not going to just do that for free. 
it's justifiable though. Like it's really justifiable in that Russell's a good player. I don't think he's a great player, but he's a good player. And Cat thinks he's the fucking shit. <laughs> so that matters. Totally. Like, I I think I think Rosa's is realizes that. And Rosas comes from Houston who didn't wait. Yeah. They it, didn't wait. And it is his job to kind of balance the present and the future. And so you get a guy like Jarrett Culver. But then, like, yeah, you got Carl Anthony Towns to sign this five-year max extension. On some level, worrying about him signing his next one isn't worth it. Like, there aren't that many guys who stay with one team for more than yeah. that second contract. Like, you got the eight years that you deserve. Now go do something with it. Like, mm-hmm. you have five more years. Like, Let's let's make something of this Carl Anthony Towns prime. And if you want to talk about Rosa's messaging, that's another that's another key bullet point that he brings up all the time. Maximizing Carl's window. Carl's window. Best for Carl. And like, that is good to hear after the Tom Thibodeau yeah, era. Yeah, well, that was just stupid. Um, obviously, it's obvious that Rosa should do that, but he's saying it, and I think he means it. Mm-hmm. You, you can't you can't not. You, you, it'd be it would be silly to just assume that Cat's going to be cool with you know, toiling around for two, three, four more years. Yeah. I think the like the the cat Anthony Davis stuff is hype comparisons are like hyperbolic, but it's also real that you gotta get the ball moving in the right direction to keep him engaged here because he's the he's the ticket. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean like the the Wolves are not ever contending for a championship anytime soon unless Carl Anthony Towns becomes really good and has players who really bring out the best in him. So, you know what? If it's a if it's a tax bill, pay it. I I, I really think so. Absolutely. What do we got? Not let's say like the 20 22nd. So eight days until free agency starts and it's gonna be a whole nother whirlwind. And I think the wolves are gonna be all over Woge bombs, at least in interest for like the next couple weeks. All right. Um I, I really do. I mean they're going to they might not make a million moves, but they're going to be on the fringes of a bunch. Totally. I mean, what happened on draft night, just the way that it reshuffled yeah. the roster foreshadowed more to come. I just, they're, they're, the, they're the, going to be the front offense that knocks on doors. Mavs North. Mavs North. <laughs> <laughs> I like Gerson Rosas. Yeah, yeah, Ex- yeah. Employer. <laughs> um, okay, uh, that's good for the draft. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week, I think. Let's just go free agency. Let's yeah. Take some time to reassess like what exactly we think, you know, makes sense and who knows. And then four or five days there could be new more news of a trade or, or, or something happening. Um it's gonna it's gonna remain interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you for listening. Um I'm Dane Moore, it's Charlie Johnson. Uh I'm at Dane Moore MBA on Twitter, Charlie's at C Johns MBA. Follow us there. Got a bunch of written stuff up on the site. Uh, all Charlie's draft stuff is completely irrelevant right now. <laughs> Good. As it just, just leave it. Just so leave so it is my so is my Patrick Beverly article. I think. <laughs> or like, yeah, it's just fun. writing's funny. Where you like, yeah, you put a bunch of time into doing something, and forty eight hours later, you're like, please well, don't read that. That can't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take that down. Um, no, I, I I have something on the site that's about. A bunch of charts and a bunch of different things that we talked about here in, in written form. So so check that out, and I, we will have um, more to come on whatever the heck's going to happen with the Wolves. Until next time, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. 
you dancing like nobody else around. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.